Up to 60% of the human body is made of water or consists of water. This is why it's so important that we stay hydrated. Here's some other interesting facts. The brain and the heart are comprised of 73% water. The lungs, about 83% water. The skin contains 64% water. Muscles and kidneys are 79% water. Even bones are 31% water. How many know it's important we drink our water, right? 15, 20 years ago, I I was uh, on call to go visit people in the hospital. And and back in those days, people wanted you to come to the hospital more. Now you guys are sneaky. You you have all kinds of surgeries and procedures and stays that we don't ever know about. You just trust the Lord, not the pastor, huh? How about that? So, but back in those days, we'd just go all the time. I was going to the hospital all the time and often would go to the ER and like 50% of the time I'd go to the ER and I'd ask what's going on and everybody was getting organized there. And I said, hey, have you had fluids yet? They're like, no, no. Well, later on, they would say, hey, you're right. You know, they gave us fluids and we started feeling better. How did you know, pastor? So I'm just prophetic. I know these things, right? (laughs) Well, what had actually happened is I had done so many uh, ER calls. About, let's say, 40% of the time, especially between March and October, people got dehydrated. And when you're dehydrated and 60% of your body and then all of those other statistics I told you, you don't have enough water. I mean, it just makes you feel bad. So, you know, this is a public service announcement. Drink water and you'll save on your ER copay. So that, that'll help you quite a bit. So you got to stay ahead. See, Robin, you're actually shaking your head. Yes, a certified nurse over there. So I have, I have this medical verification right here in, in the service. So there's a stickiness about water. It carries the, the carbohydrates and the, the protein that we need to to build our bodies, to fuel our bodies. And so all of this is real important. And that's why when this scripture, we've read it a couple of times already this morning, the psalmist didn't have all of that biological information, but uh, sometimes you just know, and he just knew that if I don't have water, I'm going to die. If I don't have water, I'm not going to survive, especially in a desert, especially in an arid, dry place. And he uses this as a comparison to his relationship with the Lord. This is a powerful statement. It's a statement that like, we, we don't necessarily like, but we need to hear. Um, without God, we're going to, to die spiritually. This is really, really hard to accept because we like the idea of self-sufficiency. We like the idea of control. We like the idea that we are in charge and we can handle the situations before us. And while, yes, made in the image of God, we're decision makers and we are creators. And there's a lot of times we can uh, get away without the Lord. But we know this as spirit people, as people who know the Lord, that if we exclude the Lord from our lives in the long run, wow, the vulnerability that we have. So this historic occasion was most likely when David was either running from Saul or running from Absalom. At least twice in his life, David was running from two very important people to him, his mentor, Saul, and then his son, his beloved son, Absalom, who both were threatened by his power. So we are reminded that God speaks in the wilderness. Ezekiel, when he was in exile in Babylon, he had so so many poetic expressions of who God was. The very best of Paul's letters were written when he was in prison. And so it is with David. We find that David, who wrote this psalm, is out in the desert, on the run. And even though that is a 
a non-preferred place to be. It's a place where God spoke to him. That theme comes up a lot in my preaching these last few years, but maybe you needed to hear it again today. The Lord is in the desert. The Lord is in the wilderness. And it's an area where we're out of rhythm sometimes. Like we're not in the same rhythms of relationships. We're not in the same, um, we don't, the same environments we've been in. And it gives us time to create. Hey, if you are on a budget this week and you're not going anywhere during Sumner County spring break, maybe you're going to write a poem or write a song or start a book or plant a garden, right? Because always when we're on the go, 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 we don't have time to create. And so God can use situations that maybe we did not choose, but God can use those uh, to, to bring great things through us. But the very basic, basic request or the basic point of this scripture is your first point I want you to write down is a longing for God. A longing for God. You can just feel it in this scripture. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. It's like a spiritual dehydration that's happening in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So right here, we believe this was that physical place of, he can very quickly, where he's running from oppression, he's running as he's being chased, but we can very quickly compare this to our life. Because in what the Bible calls the world, this is a Bible term, not an Aaron term, and we'll call it culture, that's a term that we use, culture, the, the way that we are as a people, our mindset as a people, popular thought, um, the, the, the way we relate to each other. There isn't space for God in many places. Uh, the world we live in is dominated by humanism, where man is the measure, man is the center, God's not the center. It's dominated by something we'll talk more about later called hedonism, and hedonism is this idea that pleasure is the highest and, and the, the pinnacle of our experience. And it is secular thought instead of spiritual thought. Secular thought is a thought process that is based off principles in culture, not on principles built in faith and in scripture and in the positive aspects of tradition. And so we're kind of in this dry place. We're in this dry and arid place. And it's easy to get accustomed to spiritual dehydration. I mean, there's at some point when you're dehydrated uh, that you, you're not thirsty anymore. And we don't want to get to that place. We want to have an appropriate thirst for God. That when we are in atmospheres where God is not celebrated, our God is not thought of, our spirituality is difficult. There's this kind of longing in us. There's a thirst in us. It's like, you know, God hasn't called us to sequester ourselves. He, he has called some communities to do that. Uh, he, you know, he called the, the separatists and the Puritans who started you know, the colonies to do that. He hasn't called us to do that. There's no plan here for us to all go live in a compound or commune. I'm not interested in that. You might need another pastor if that's the direction the Lord takes the church. So, so we're kind of in the world, the old phrase, in the world but not of the world. There's environments that are dry and arid and are a wilderness. 
And we, we, we must not get used to living there. there. There has to be this part like I'm here, but my heart's somewhere else. Like I'm present and I'm engaged and I'm talking to people, but like I have an orientation towards the things of God. And this is what comes in verse two. And he says, so I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. It's this longing to be in God's presence, which at that time was a specific location in, in the temple, in the sanctuary. And so there's this sense of like, I want to go to the place where God is. This is what I'm thirsting for. This is what I'm desiring. This is where I want to go. This idea has always been part of God's invitation. The prophet Isaiah was speaking for God. And this is like God speaking to you right now in Isaiah chapter 55. He says, come everyone who is thirsty, come to the water and you without silver, come by and eat. This, this is really interesting that the message of the gospel, um, and, and of course this is in Isaiah, the Old Testament, the message of God has always been more appealing to the poor. That's why Jesus said that it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I, I want to say this, that like in my life, um, I'm making the, the most money I've ever made in my life. I'm thanks to my parents and what they provided for me, I was able to get an education. And so my lifestyle is more advanced than my lifestyle growing up. So I'm going to speak to myself here because, you know, whenever the preacher starts like, you rich people. Now, let me talk to Aaron, who I have more options than I've ever had before in my life. I, I, I've, I'm at a place in life where I'm healthy and I, I'm at a high earning time in my life and all of that. I mean, and, and here's the deal is that if we're not careful we become self-sufficient and we don't want God anymore. We're not thirsty for God anymore. We're not in that wilderness. We, we're, we're, well, we're in the wilderness, but we're used to the wilderness. It's, it's, it's become something we're accustomed to. That's why that song, Pastor Aubrey, kind of slid into worship. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. That's the first time I've ever sung out that long in church, okay? So I'll stop there. That song was birthed out of people in lower socioeconomic uh, kind of categories because they didn't know where what we would call now the next paycheck was going to come from. This is early 20th century, 100 years ago. So the holiness people, we called them, uh, the Pentecostal people, uh, people who were on the other side of the tracks, African-Americans who had been oppressed, evilly oppressed, and did not have the economic advantages that uh, people with white skin pigment did. And they would sing these beautiful songs because life wasn't, didn't have the options that many of us experience. They weren't saying, okay, this summer, should we go to Florida or should we go to California for vacation? Or maybe it's our summer to go to Europe. Now, I'm not saying those things are wrong. And in fact, if you know what I believe civically, you know that I, that I, I believe in capitalism. This is, this is not a spiritual statement. This is a civic statement. And I don't like what's happened in America where we are demonizing the rich and demonizing a few years ago the 1%. So that, that's, that's just me talking now just as a fellow citizen of America. 
But now I'm talking to you and talking to myself as a pastor. I'm just telling you this is that when we have access to options and access to wealth, it can be a detriment to us spiritually. And it's been this way for thousands of years. And that's why, that's why the call that Isaiah gave out of Isaiah 55 says, come, everyone who's thirsty, come to the water, you without silver. What is silver? Silver is a commodity. It's like, hey, if you don't have options, you don't know where your next meal's coming from, and you don't really know how you're going to provide, and you don't know really uh, what, what the next opportunity is, the Lord said, come on. Come on, come to me. You come to me, everyone who, who wants me, come to me. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Verse two, why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live and I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindness of David. We see here that the invitation is open, and, and, and I commend you for being here. Listen, I commend you for being here. This is one of those Sundays that just kind of just falls. Like, like it's not like a high attendance Sunday. It's not the beginning of a church season. We haven't done, we didn't do anything like to promote coming to church, like have a photographer outside or have a giveaway. Like this is just like music and preaching and communion in Jesus. Now, honestly, those are the type of services I like. You know, I like those type of services, so I'm okay with it. But, but I commend you for being here. And, and, and many in our, our faith community are traveling today and, and all doing appropriate things. But like, like you, you had other choices, right? You're not required to be here. We don't excommunicate people for not coming to church. We don't have that power anyway. That might help attendance, and that's why all the popes used to excommunicate people is because they were trying to control people. But, but like, you've chosen to be here. Like, so, like, you're here, and, and I'm just telling you, the Lord has said, come. Come. Come on. Come. And, and this does not, this is not limited to Sunday morning. Like, when, when this afternoon, as, as you, as you, as you finish up 242 and as you go into the evening, the presence of the Lord is calling you. It's like, let's hang out. Let's hang out. Let's be friends. Tuesday morning, the presence of the Lord is calling you. The invitation of the Lord, it's a beautiful, beautiful invitation. And it's a beautiful place to be. But in order to do that, your call is to recognize God. I want you to write that down. Recognizing God. Navy training instructs sailors who find themselves... Stranded at sea, and I respect you military people. I wasn't in the military, so anytime I give a military illustration, I get it. I get it, okay? I'm not one of you, and I honor you. But if you find yourself, were to find yourself stranded at sea, and I've seen movies, like Unbroken is a good movie, uh, where they're stranded at sea. I've read a lot about the USS Indianapolis because my great uncle, he was one of the few survivors of that. And so this idea of being in this vast ocean of water, dehydrated, needing water, and you can imagine this, you've probably seen a movie like this where visually everything you need is right before you, like you're in what you actually need. You're in the water. But if you drink salt water, if you drink salt water, they instruct sailors 
an airman not to do that because it doesn't help. It might feel good to the palate. It actually accelerates dehydration. And this is kind of a word picture of, of our spiritual thirst. Like we're around stuff all the time where we're like, oh, whew, I bet that would taste good. Or that, that seems like that's the answer to my problem. But often, if we don't recognize God in the situation, we're drinking from a water source that will accelerate spiritual death. We think it's going to help us. We, we think, I need that relationship, or I need that fix, or, you know, or I need that experience, or I need that opportunity. I'm just going to drink. And what tastes good in the mouth actually leads us to spiritual death. You know, Las Vegas has this marketing campaign that's kind of become part of our cultural lexicon now. Don't, don't celebrate this because I'm going to dog it out here, so I'm going to trick you. But the, the first service, I said, what happens in Vegas? And some people yell, stays in Vegas. Like, yeah, like go Titans. I'm like, no, no, don't do that because I'm about to really talk about that. So the, the phrase, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas is so not true. I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't it, in their part of us, the unredeemed part, would think, well, wouldn't that be great if I could just go to some city somewhere for three or four days and do whatever I want and then just come back to middle Tennessee and, and it's like it never happened before. That type of mindset, it, it's, it's not true. Um, I know a lot of you go to Vegas. My wife went to Vegas last year during a pastor's wives conference. Isn't that crazy? And she enjoyed it and wants to take me back there. So I, I kind of look forward to going sometime um, based off her recommendation. But that idea of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas is, is a product of what I've already mentioned, hedonism. This idea of as long as we're alive, let us get as much pleasure out of life as possible. I mean, that is our highest aim. That is our, our highest desire is to just have pleasurable experiences. And by, by doing that, this, this, we would love to think that if that is our standard, that it doesn't really bother anyone else. It doesn't affect anyone. But the problem is what happens in Vegas. Let me tell you what stays in Vegas. Uh, human trafficking stays in Vegas. The oppression of the poor stays in Vegas. The misuse of resources, the exploitation of children, the fracturing of the family, the breaking of covenants, the abuse of body through the misuse of alcohol, through illegal drugs. Yet what happens in Vegas, what stays is the ramifications of brokenness in this world. Well, it's easy to talk about Vegas, but can I tell you, it's not just Las Vegas. It, it's a certain mindset. It can be in Bethpage. It can be in rural America where Drug abuse is just so out of control in rural America. It's just a problem that is being ignored. And it's happening here in Middle Tennessee, too. And I love living in Middle Tennessee. I love all the great things downtown offers us. I was there a couple uh, last week for the SEC tournament. I'm going down there this afternoon for something before uh, our 242 tonight. And so I was, last night I was... Uh, doing some rare Saturday night ministry in Clarksville. So around 9.30, I stop at a gas station to get a drink for the road, and there's all kinds of people mulling about. I mean, it was really, really crowded. So 
I go in, and, and it so happens that when I'm with the attendant, it's just me and him. Things had kind of, there was a lull at that time. So we talked for a second. I was like, hey, why is it so crowded? What's the deal? He said, spring break, I-24, like everyone's headed to Florida or to Nashville. And that's what triggered this thought. And I said, so we started talking about that. I'm like, yeah, Nashville is like the part, a party city now. So this this attendant goes on to tell me, he's like, yeah, like last night, man, I was down at a bar in Nashville and there were 2,000 people in that bar. I don't know what type of bar he was in and I didn't get details at that time because I wasn't necessarily looking for it. But the idea is I'm making assumptions of this guy. Let's say he's making $10, $12 an hour. It's a nice wage if, if, if that's the case um, and he's working real hard and then it's this idea of like, let me go down to the city and and again, I'm making some assumptions, but it's not a stretch. If it's not true for him, it's true for someone. Let me go down and, and like try to chase pleasure. And let me just, this, this is the highest end. This is like the meaning of life. The meaning of life is to, to have this experience. And so th- this is what draws us to like what uh, Tim Keller calls cities, playgrounds for adults. That, that's what we do. And, and, and self-admittedly, it's what I do too. It's, it's not, I don't think it's wrong. You know, let's go to concerts. Let's go to sporting events. Let's go and be part of the crowd. But we have to continue in those places of wilderness, of spiritual wilderness, make sure we're still thirsting for God. And our orientation is like, okay, like I'm here, I'm here, God, and I'm managing this and I'm, I'm, I'm benefiting from, from this because the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and there's wisdom from the Lord, but my heart is somewhere else. My heart is somewhere else. My heart is still with you. And so it is that, that God continues, like wherever we are, God continues to be in our mind, in our hearts. That's why verse three says this, my lips will glorify you because, this is verse three, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So think of all these experiences we want to have in this world. And we think, but God, your love is greater than that. And because of that, I will go ahead and keep that up there. I will bless you as long as I live and at your name, I will lift up my hands. It's this idea of, Lord, I'm just free from you. That's why there's power in lifting our hands in worship. Guys, lifting our hands in worship is not a style. It's a biblical invitation. The Bible says around a hundred times to lift your hands in worship. And, and, and let me tell you something, there's a freedom in that when you lift your hands in worship. And I just know in my life, let me just speak for Aaron here, is that when, when my heart's not connected to the Lord, I kind of want to do this. This is just me, okay? I'm not judging you. Just kinda do. But man, when I, and my heart's connected, it's like, yes, Lord, I'm free. I'm not living for the next pleasurable experience. I'm not living for the next entertainment experience. I'm not living for the next adrenaline rush. I'm not living for the next hit. I'm not living for the next experience. Lord, your love is better than life. Your love is better than success. Your love is better than travel. Your love is better than uh, earthly recognition. This is what we have to continue to remind our soul of when we're in cultural deserts. I don't know what your favorite meal is, but I learned that 
a mistake, especially at 1045, is talking about food. It's always a mistake. But, like, but still, we're going to go there because, right? I mean, service will be over in 17 minutes anyway. And, um, and like food, like we all eat it, right? So that's something we all have in common. So think about what your favorite meal is. I won't give you any suggestions because I, I, don't, I, I, I know that we all have individual tastes and I don't want to use that trick. But we know this is that this is kind of a historical understanding of food that I find fascinating. And if you think I'm a nerd, just don't roll your eyes too much at me. So when we fellowship with someone, historically, the idea of sharing a drink, a drink with someone is that there's a common pot or we would call a pitcher at the middle of the table. And so we're equals, right? We're going to have a cup of coffee. We're going to have, you know, a Coke Zero at Cheddar's together. And we're equal. One meal is not better than the other. One drink. It's the same drink. We're dipping out of the same pitcher. So that's the idea of let's have a drink. Let's become equals. Historically, when people in a, a, an agrarian society, um, meat was special. And so when you had a special guest, the cut of the meat, either intentionally or unintentionally, valued the guest. And so when you ate a certain cut, you were saying, this person is a very special guest. And, and, and if you keep that in mind, that, 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 that um, theme continues throughout Scripture of why certain cuts were given at certain, certain times. And so when verse 5 says this, you satisfy me with rich foods. The, the King James actually said this when, way even before King James, when the, the first translations of English came, it was actually, uh, those first Bibles were contemporary and easy to understand. And it says, you satisfy me as within the fat and marrow. And now that sounds like very poetic, like with marrow and fatness, you satisfy me. Sounds very poetic and, and, and very official. But what it was saying at the time is like, I get the good cut of meat. That's what you're like. You're, you're like a special, special meal for me, a special cut of meat. This is this idea of being satisfied with God. My soul is satisfied. So you satisfy me with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Then look at this. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches. Well, we immediately think about being home like with our favorite place to sleep in that safe, comfortable place. And there's no place to lay like home. But in this context, David did not have a home. He was on the run. He was finding caves. He was finding hideouts. He was finding random places. And he, had to, he and his men had to have night watches because they could have been oppressed at any time. Some of us, might feel that way. We don't feel like we have a home. We don't feel safe in our home. We don't feel, we don't know if we're going to be able to keep our home. We, there's circumstances where we just don't feel safe. And I want you to hear this. I want this to be an encouragement. When you lay your head down for the night, if most of us have a night orientation when we sleep, and those fears start rushing in, right? Fears and anxiety. Fears how the kids are going to turn out. Fears how the bills are going to be paid. Fears how our career is going. Fear comes, fear comes. Begin to orientate your mind on the Lord. Just begin to think about the Lord. And like David, you, you, can, you can say this um, back to verse 5, uh, excuse me, verse 6. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night. Watch this, verse 7. I love this. Because you are my helper. 
Isn't that good? Doesn't that just sound good? How many like a good helper? Like someone that just helps you. God is our helper. We know from New Testament teaching, the Holy Spirit is our helper. And he's here to help. He's not here to say, man, you've really messed this situation up. He's not one just to point out the mistakes, point out the challenges. How many know that it's so easy to point out the weaknesses? Anyone can point out weaknesses. Not many people can create solutions. Well, God is a helper. He's a solution provider. He's the one who cares. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. Two, two weeks ago, I, I talked about the shadow. Ver, verse five, verse eight, excuse me. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. Isn't that beautiful language? And It's in the stillness. It's when we quiet our hearts that we feel that relationship with the Lord, that he's going to help us. He's going to hold our hand. He's going to be with us, even if we're being hunted, like David was being hunted. Even if we feel like the armies of the world and culture are against us, we can lay down and we can find rest and we can find a home with the presence of the Lord. Even if we don't have the home we want, the home we prefer, the home that we thought we would be in, the presence of the Lord is always our home. The Jewish people, even when they were dispersed all throughout the world, they always said, Lord, you have always been our home. Whether they're in Russia, New York, South America, Africa, the Middle East, the presence of the Lord is always our home. We thank God for land. We thank God for buildings. We thank God for a sense of rootedness in specific places, but we don't trust in those things. We enjoy them while we have them, but we don't trust in them. We trust in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous run to and they find refuge. Wherever you are, whoever you work for, whatever you do, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, as long as you know the Lord, you are at home and his presence is with you. Our New Testament reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and it says, now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all, were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses, into the cloud, and into the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, we're seeing here that they're setting up this idea that we look to the Old Testament as an example of how to live today. And I've already given you positive examples in the Old Testament of, of David, Ezekiel, and there's many more how God spoke to them in the wilderness. But just because you're in the wilderness doesn't mean it's always going to go well for you. Okay? And, and this is a warning to you. The Lord is warning you through the scripture here. Verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these things took place as an example for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. So guys, this is like a warning from the Lord. We're warned from scripture. Human nature repeats itself and all of, all of the tendencies of human nature come into us and we think like, hey, we're gonna be above it. We're gonna be above it just because like, we got this me and Jesus thing down and, and, and I want you to thrive in the wilderness. I'm calling you to thrive in the wilderness. I'm cheering you on. This is Aaron speaking. I'm cheering you on in the wilderness. And I'm saying, go, come on, in the wilderness, God's going to speak. God, you're going to write poetry. You're going to write music. You're going to write a great book. God's going to use the wilderness. But I also have to warn you, there's also vulnerability if you don't turn to the Lord in the wilderness. Verse 7, don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. It's that hedonism that I've already talked about. 
Verse eight, let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. Verse nine, let us not test, test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. These are all Old Testament references. Verse 10, and don't complain as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroyer. Verse 11, here's a, another warning to us, guys. These things happened to them as examples. They were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. So aren't you glad that the love of the Lord and the discipline of the Lord is warning us today? Come on, it's warning us and it's saying, I have something that's better than life. My faithful love is better than life. And, 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 and my presence is going to be your helper. And even when you lie down in the night and you're anxious, I'm going to be there with you. But at the same time, he's like, but be careful. Because even though there's a great treasure in that wilderness, there's also a great challenge. Can I tell you that through Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be among those who receive. And we will be among those who flower in the desert and we will flourish in the desert and I believe that all right here's the last thing confident in the Lord confident for deliverance confident confident for breakthrough confident to overcome once again look at verse 9 this is now David speaking he says but those who intend to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. It gets kind of dark here. Verse 10, they will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become a mill for jackals. Verse 11, but the king, David's talking about himself now, even though he wasn't the king at the time, he had confidence he would be the king once again. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast. So this is a leadership gift. The people that are following me are gonna boast. For the mouths of the liar will, liars will be shut. This is the idea of vindication, the idea that God's going to come through, the idea that God is watching over you in the desert. He's watching over you in the wilderness, and he wants you to continue to thirst for him, to long for the temple. He's going to help you, and those who oppose you, those who attack the work of God in your life, the Lord will vindicate. The Lord will silence them. The Lord will come through for you and he will uphold you. That's what his promise is. I want us to stand together in an attitude of prayer. We welcome you now, Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit's always here. And so we welcome him because we need to welcome him. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. I thank you that you're forming faith in people. The Lord's forming faith in you. The Lord's forming faith in, in you. These, these things you hear, these things that you experience, that God's not done with you yet. Hear this, hear this. He's not done with you yet. This is what the Lord's saying to you right now. Oh, it's so easy to focus on our mistakes, focus on our shortcomings. It's easy to live in the land of regrets, but the Lord's saying, come on, you're not in exile anymore. You're, you're not in exile. I've, I'm bringing you back to my heart. The table is open. Can I just tell you that if you hear my voice, there is no sin that you have committed that is too great for the love of God. There is no reason whatsoever that you should not pick up your mat and walk as the word that we heard last week. 
There's no reason that you're not invited to the table. Isaiah 55 says, come on, come. It didn't say, come, you rich people. Come, all of you who are organized and powerful and have it together. God didn't say, I want you. I don't want, he doesn't say, I want you if you have it together. He says, come. If you don't have anything to offer me, the Lord says, come. If you don't have anything to eat, come. If you don't have anything to drink, come. Come to me. Come to my heart. The table of the Lord is always open to you. Always, always, always open to you. This is, this is the Lord's love that's been placed upon you. So Lord, we set our hearts to love you this day. And we thank you, God, for the invitation to your presence, Lord. We, we, we thank you for the invitation to your heart. We thank you for, for the opportunity that you've given us, Lord, to just be in your house and to be in your presence. And so we invite your presence here.